Hey everyone, this is Steve Bradley, God's Wordsmith, uh, coming to you now with a teaching on more of the Matthew 13 parables. And this will actually be our last teaching on these parables. So here we go. The treasure, the pearl, and the dragnet. So here is the treasure and the pearl. Jesus says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, a number of commentators interpret these two parables as telling us that we must use every effort to seek the Lord and turn to him. <clears throat> Matthew Trench, the old 19th century commentator, took this position. <clears throat> and they all point to Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, which says, Seek first the kingdom of God. Now, these commentators are famous, and their viewpoint is somewhat justified. But just ask yourself the following questions. Who really did sell all that he had? Who found and bought the pearl of great price? And folks, there's only one answer, and that's Jesus, the Lord of glory. So here we have some passages that tell us how much Jesus gave. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, and that word form actually means he was God, not just shaped like him, did not consider it robbery, that is, not a thing to be grasped after, it's a, a kind of an idiom, to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, <clears throat> emptied himself, as some of the newer versions have, taking the form of a bondservant, that is, a slave, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, and in reality as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross, which was the most humiliating death possible at that time. So the only real answer in these parables, these two, is that Jesus is pointing to himself as the Word. That is, the second person of the Godhead who found the treasure and the pearl and chose to enter human life as man, becoming forever the God-man. <clears throat> as one of my old profs said, he is God and man united in one person forever. There is much else in Scripture about this, most both Old and New Testament, but Philippians chapter 2 exactly encapsulates what's happened, what happened, what the Lord chose to do, and the infinite price he paid. What's more, he did it for us. And honestly, folks, when I see this, I say, who, me? Really? Seriously? He did this for me? Yes, and you. As Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, But God commends his love for us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
he was the man who found the treasure and the pearl, and he gave it all up for us, for you and me. Here's some more thoughts on what he gave and who, he, who it was who gave. Who gave away all that he had <clears throat> in order to purchase the field? Who really did sell all that he had to buy that one pearl of great price? Of course, you probably already know. It was the Lord Jesus Christ whose choice to lay down his life for us is celebrated through time and eternity. Turning over to the last book of the Bible, the book of the Revelation. In Revelation 5, there is this huge question. I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne, that is God the Father, a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy? to open the scroll and to lose its seals. And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look at it. So John says, I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll. But one of the elders, that is the four and 20 elders that are by the throne of God, said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Now this scroll, one commentator has called, and it's probably true, is the title deed to the earth. Not only did Jesus buy us not only did he purchase the pearl of great price through what he did he forever transformed what the earth will be in days to come and so john says i looked and behold in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had just been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which of course is symbolic, which are like the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll of the, out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. The rest of the book of Revelation deals with the opening of these seven seals. And the opening of the seven seals in Revelation progressively returns complete control of the earth and its government back to God and his Son. Without Jesus' death, the removal of sin could not have happened. Satan could not be defeated. So Jesus, the man who is God, volunteered to sacrifice himself for us and be changed for all eternity into the lion and the lamb, the God-man. Remember John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And then in one fourteen it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us.
and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ gave it all away for you and me. So here are some additional thoughts on the treasure and the pearl. The treasure is, of course, God's people, including all those who have not yet believed or even been born. You'll notice, however, that the man buys the field. And this kind of fits with the book of Revelation where it talks about him taking over the earth. The field is probably the world, which includes all humanity, and includes folks, even those who reject him. The pearl is either his people or the church, which Paul describes in these amazing terms, given what we are sometimes like. I mean, seriously, he gave himself for me, for you? That's unbelievable. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul talks about the church and says this, Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify, that is, make holy, set it apart for himself, sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but the, that she should be holy and without blemish. This is all his doing. You and I only have to receive it, and it's free. And John chapter 11, verses 49 through 52. One of the most poignant passages in all of the New Testament one of them, that is one of the high, one of the priests, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, and this is just after Lazarus is raised from the dead, he said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. Now, of course, what Caiaphas meant is that let's kill Jesus so we can retain control over our Jewish nation. But John interprets it for us. He says, now this he did not say on his own authority. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. And that includes you and me, thank God. We are the treasure and the pearl. He gave everything for us. Why? He loves us. I don't understand it, but it's true. The words, God so loved the world, are the most amazing words ever spoken. Now here's the final parable in Matthew chapter 13. I see I put Matthew chapter 11 up there. I'll fix that. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea. And if you don't know, nets were often put, uh, set behind boats and dragged along, and they picked up all kinds of sea creatures. 
And in this case, obviously fresh water because the lake they were on is fresh. And they gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and they sat down and they gathered the good into vessels, but they threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age. For those of you who think Jesus is nothing but merciful and you have every chance and you can just do anything you want and keep on doing it until after you die, this message is for you. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And then Jesus said to them, have you understood all these things? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he said to them, Therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Now this parable is like the other end-time parables. Jesus is describing what the end will be like. Those who believe that Jesus is a softy should take note. If you are not qualified for heaven, the alternative is not just the end of your existence. Once you are alive, you are under the eye of God, and you are responsible to him for your life. <clears throat> now, you know, the Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. And people hate the idea of a sovereign God who decides their faith, fate, but that's how it is. God is the judge. He has committed all judgment to his son, and the son will judge according to the scriptures. Some of you will rise to shine like the stars forever and ever. Some will be wailing and gnashing their teeth. Now, on the other hand, unlike fish, you can change. And Jesus Christ, the Almighty, will either receive you or judge you. So here's what it says in John chapter 5. Jesus is speaking here and he says, For the Father judges no one, but he has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, says the old KJ, most, most assuredly, says the new King James, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. When you believe, you receive everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Listen carefully to what Jesus says. The moment you believe, you make a transition that is eternal. You pass from death into life. Most assuredly, he says, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And of course, if you are not yet a Christian, but you're hearing this and you want to become a Christian, 
that's the voice you're hearing. Those who hear will live. When you truly hear and you truly believe, you gain life forevermore. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. And that's given to us in Revelation chapter 20. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, for as I said, they will shine like the stars forever and ever. And those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation, for they will be exposed to shame and everlasting contempt, and they will wail and gnash their teeth. You have a choice. Where will you spend eternity? You can't decide after you die. You decide now. This life is the only time to decide. The writer of Hebrews wrote, It is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, that is the next event, is the judgment. Where will you spend eternity? Where? Your choice. If you hear the word of the Son of God and you believe in him who sent Jesus Christ, you will not come into judgment, but you already passed from death into life, and you have everlasting life. Hope God blesses you this day, and I hope you turn to the Lord if you're not already his, and live your life for him. This is Steve Bradley, God's Wordsmith, signing off.